Good morning, Living Water family. It's good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. Uh, we're in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. Galatians chapter 5. We'll pick up at verses 22 and 23. You'll see that on your screen. You'll find these words written. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let us ask God's blessing upon our time together as we prepare to look at his word. Father, we thank you for your preservation of your word that you have taken time to keep through history so that we might have it. Thank you for your grace in letting it be translated into a language that we speak and that we understand that is our heart language. And we thank you, Lord, for the faithful proclamation of those who have given their lives to serve you. And Lord, I pray that as a result of the words that we hear today, that you would produce in our lives that which we seek to learn about. God, forgive us for where we have fallen short. And I pray, God, at the time that we have left on planet Earth, that we would pursue you with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, every energy and every opportunity that you present to us, and every resource that we have available to us to use it to serve you. We pray these things, God. Would you speak to our hearts and minds? Would you transform us into the image of Christ? May all we've done be done for your glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So around my house lately, wash your hands has become the mantra of my family. Uh, and as such, uh, our hand soap, hand soap supply kind of ran low about two weeks ago. And if you remember what Mike Bongo said just about last week, uh, if you're looking for hand soap or items like that, it's kind of like trying to pan for gold these days. It's extremely hard uh, to find. So whenever I have problems in my life, like things like trying to find resources that I know that I'm not able to find, I have often resorted to prayer. And so I prayed. I know it may seem ridiculous to you, but I said, Lord, Help me find some hand soap. And so uh, the next morning I went out grocery shopping because it was my day to go grocery shopping and I made my way uh, to one of my local grocery stores and I decided to stop by the hygiene section. I had stopped there a number of times before on other trips and of course it was always empty. Uh, the supplies were out, but on this particular morning it seemed like I had just happened to show up at just the right moment because those who were working in the store had just restocked. They seemed like they had just taken out one fresh case uh, of hand soaps and placed them there. And, it, and so I was able to find basically little bottles of gold. It was yellow colored lemon hand scented soap. And I was thankful to be able to find those uh, so that I could purchase them for my family. But something strange happened inwardly. Uh, as I looked at those hand soaps on the shelf, uh, there was a, a, a feeling that I felt internally which was to grab every hand soap that I could find, put it in my basket, and walk away with it and purchase it for my family. For, you know, it's so hard to find them. Here was the opportunity right before me. And just as I felt the inclination to grab every hand soap from the shelf, a thought dropped into my mind. And it said, what about other families? So I decided to lean towards the thought as opposed to the feeling that I felt in the moment. I decided to only take three of the hand soaps, and leave the rest for other families to purchase. Now, we might ask ourselves as a result of that, was that the right decision? Was that the wisest thing to do? 
Did I even have the right motives? Well, the reality is we won't know until Christ judges me on that day and he will make it plain what was right. So we will wait to that day to find out. See, our current circumstances as a result of this COVID-19 virus and pandemic have become a crucible in which uh, it has revealed in, in the lives of many of us the level of our conformity to the character of Christ. See, what COVID-19 has done for us is exposed who we really are. A week ago on Friday, Governor Wolf spoke about some of the negative feelings that people are in large mass feeling in the state of Pennsylvania and experiencing. He named some things like fear, anger, and anxiety. And as we know that when people are inwardly overtaken by fear, anxiety, um, and, and, and those in anger, they can have some negative results in unhealthy behaviors. And as such, our Secretary of Health, Dr. Rachel Levine, has warned uh, and even said, hey, if you know about cases of abuse in the home or neglect in the home, please report those because we need to care about those families during this time as well. Now, probably for most of us, we're not in that situation. What we're struggling with is putting our own self-interest above the good of others. And that can come out in a variety of ways. And so it's during this time that I ask the question of all of us, what should we expect in the lives of those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, that's what our new sermon series, Christ Likeness in Crisis, is all about. And so over the next several weeks, we plan to show you a portrait of Christ likeness. As Paul has described in the first letter that we have that has existed through time and has been kept by the church, that he wrote to a church, the book of Galatians. And hopefully what we, we hope will happen is that we will see in our lives and you'll see in your life being produced that which we show you from the text. So Paul writes to the Galatians and he writes to them because he wants them to live as the new creations that they've become as a result of God's work when they place faith in Jesus Christ in response to the message that Paul preached about Jesus and, and that God did this mighty work in their lives. And he says, I want you to live as a new creation. And the reason why is because the Galatian believers were being tempted by some bad teaching of some others who had come in who were some false teachers and were trying to persuade them to return to life in the flesh, which Paul also calls a life that is under the law. Dr. David Bartlett, drawing upon the work of Rudolf Boltman uh, and his definition of what the flesh is for Paul, describes the flesh in this way. It is in large measure uh, refers to any form of self-absorption, self-promotion, or inappropriate pride. That's when Paul uses the flesh, at least in one sense, when he's talking about it here in Galatians, this is partly what he is re referring to. And the reason why Paul is concerned, because he knows that life that is lived in the flesh, when believers live that way, it only divides the Christian community. Whereas when the believers decide to live life in the spirit, the Christian community is unified and built up. That's because what the spirit produces in the lives of Galatian Christians some 20 centuries ago, and he still does today in American Christians, if we will allow him, is Christ-likeness. So the first aspect of what we see the Spirit producing in the life of the Christian from the text here in chapter 5, verse 20 
22 is this, love. Now we might ask ourselves, what is love? You'd be surprised that if you look up some definitions like I did this week, you find that no one has really settled on what love really is. So we have to kind of look throughout the New Testament to find out what love might be described as or what love might look like as far as God is concerned. And if we survey the, the New Testament uses of the various words that have to do with love that conveys this idea, we quickly discover that there's a right kind of love and there's a wrong kind of love. We see that the wrong kind of love in Paul's letter to Timothy. Uh, you'll remember this as we've read it before. Paul writes, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to, to Dalmatia. Speaking of the wrong kind of love, one writer says, Our love, however, is easily misdirected. Its objects tends to become the creation rather than the creator. It loses sight of the eternal for the temporal. It focuses on the self, often to the exclusion of God and others. We become idolaters, focusing a part or all of our love elsewhere than where it should be. See, Demas loved this world, and that is the wrong kind of love. This is not the kind of love that the Spirit produces in the life of the believer. For Paul and other apostles, as we look at their writings, the kind of love that the Spirit produces is defined by the acts of God. The clearest picture for him of God's love was in the self-giving act of God, giving his unique sinless son, who we know by the human name, Jesus of Nazareth, who is also called the Christ, to die for our sins, uh, that is us, the sinners, so that we could be forgiven and have a relationship with God. So when Paul thought about God's love, for him, he looked to that one historical event of Christ on the cross that would define and shape for him what true love would look like. We see that earlier in the book of Galatians. In chapter 2, verse 20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And just in case you think that Paul, this is the only time this came up in his mind, let me show you some of the other ways it pops up frequently in his writings. We see it to the, the Christians in Rome, chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, notice how he defines it, Christ died for us. It appears in his letters to the Ephesian Christians. Paul writes, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Other apostles, like John and Peter, saw uh, God's love through the very same lenses that Paul does. We find it in the writings of John, just to quote one text for example. John writes this in his letter, he says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. 
in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, God and Christ's self-sacrificing action to save us defines what is the right kind of love. Instead of self as the object of love, this love that is produced by the Spirit is always directed outward and upward toward God and toward others. And Paul thinks that love is so central to the Christian life that at that great letter of Corinthians where the church was having a variety of struggles, when he comes to the end of his letter in one of his exhortations, what he says to the believers there is this, let all that you do be done in love. Paul says that there's nothing that you're doing in life that should not be taken through the lens and grid of love. And so we began to look throughout the New Testament, and as we look through the New Testament, it gives us snapshots, snapshots of what love looks like in relationships with other people and with God. But let me focus in on what it looks like in relationship with other people. Paul tells us in Romans, after he talks about our submission to governmental authorities and that he talks about this idea that, that in submitting to governmental authorities for our good, we're ultimately submitting to God. And he talks about this fact of that one of the ways we submit is through paying taxes and giving honor and respect to whom honor is due. And then he talks about in the context of our debt to humanity, notice what he says here in the text. He says, I owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. Did you hear what Paul said? Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Because this kind of love does no wrong to its neighbor, then this love is always pure and holy. When we look at what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 46, and we look at the parable that he tells of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, we see that what Jesus does is he takes this Old Testament category of neighbor, which had been defined as locally just as Israelite, and he extends the boundary of neighbor out to a place we might not find comfortable to encompass those who we might view as enemies but are in a place of need. And he says, your neighbor is anyone who's in need, even if you view them as hostile or harmful to yourself. In the marriage relationship, we find counsel of what love looks like there. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 33. We see an example of love lived out from the context, uh, in the context of marriage from the husband towards the wife. And what Paul says there is that in the marriage relationship, love demonstrates itself through a husband toward his wife when he cares for her spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical needs of his wife. And what Paul says is that he is to love her as he loves his own body. And in that way, 
how he is showing love to her. And just in case you think that that is only something a, a husband is to do for a wife, when Paul writes to Titus uh, this pastoral letter as one of his sons in the ministry, he says to him in Titus chapter 2, verse 4, that the wife should do likewise for her husband and her children. She's to demonstrate love to them in a similar fashion as he's already spoken about in the letter to the Ephesian church. In the context of the church, we find love playing out in a variety of ways. First, we see uh, in Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 15, when we pair that up with 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 10 in the church context, that a person who's operating in love will take into account how the decisions that they're making, uh, be it for their own personal gratification, how those decisions will affect the spiritual lives of others. And if it affects others in a negative way, then you will forego your own personal privileges and pleasures for the good of others if necessary. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, if you link that up with 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, and then you partner that with what you find in James chapter, chapter 2, verses 5 through 13, what you find there is that love meets the needs of other believers whether that is by sharing finances with them or giving up items that we own and possess, but in the process of giving, we show no favoritism or preference toward those who have uh, economic or social status that we view is better than others. We show no partiality in distributing our goods to those who are in need, not based on preference of those who can potentially help us in return. And if you're looking for a nice long description, you simply need to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And you're there you'll find a detailed description of love described by Paul. See, love is so important that some have said that even this list in Galatians, that what Paul is talking about when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit is simply love. And all the rest of the words in the list are just commentary on what love really is. Now, when we look at the broader community, love plays itself out as Jesus' sermon in the mountain, sermon on the plain, Matthew 5 and Luke 6. 6 what Jesus says is that love looks like doing good to others by meeting their needs, by praying for them when they've done you wrong, and by forgiving people when they've hurt you or caused pain in your life. He says in this way, when we live in this way and act in this way, we become children of our Father who is in heaven, who is kind to the ungrateful and even to the evil. See, during this time of the coronavirus pandemic, we've seen some examples of what loving action might, be, might look like. So there was an NBC report that was uh, set out back on April 9th that shared about, if you're familiar with him, Tyler Perry. He's a, a media mogul who's played in a number of movies and produced a number of other movies. Uh, and he surprised shoppers uh, at 44 Kroger's grocery stores during senior shopping hours when he decided to pay for all of their bills and groceries when they checked out through the line. And not only had he paid for the 44 grocery stores there in Atlanta where he had 
uh, had his burgeoning career in theater, but he remembered his hometown where he had been born in New Orleans and 24 of Winn-Dixie's there, or 29, excuse me, Winn-Dixie stores there during, the, uh, the, during those hours where those who were most at risk, he picked up the bill for them. And this was not one or two people, but thousands of people that he paid for their groceries for so that they could be able to, to, be, able to, to be able to afford and have uh, their groceries uh, at home at, at his expense. And we might ask ourselves, will we consider this a good worker? To that, I would say the answer is yes. Simply look at some of the testimonies from the nearly 3,000 seniors uh, who he paid for their bills uh, that morning at those 44 Kroger's, and that's not to mention the amount that he paid for at the Winn-Dixie's. Uh, they would say that it was a good work uh, as they received his kindness when their bill was paid at the register. But then I might ask a follow-up question, which might surprise you. But was this a loving act? And to that question, I would have to say, maybe. Maybe. And you might disagree, but let me show you why I say that from the text. See, Paul indicates to us that the love that is produced by the Spirit goes deeper than mere altruism. That is, selfless acts for the well-being of other, others. We, we go to 1 Corinthians 13 to find that Paul writes these words. He says, If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So let me share with you what, what one writer said in reflecting on this passage. He said this, Most striking, perhaps, is the so-called chapter of love, 1 Corinthians 13. There Paul tells his readers that if he were to give away all he possesses to the poor and even submit his body to the torture of the flames, both willed acts for the good of others, it would be possible to do so without love. There the word agape. This surely demonstrates that the love he has in mind is more sweeping than mere altruism their mere commitment to the good of the other, however self-denying. See, what we see in the New Testament is that this love, that is spirit-generated love, entails genuine affection, care, and concern, and compassion for the one that is loved. It would not be true to say of this love, I can love you, but I don't have to like you. Not this love. This love, it has an inward-driven motivation towards care for the other person. You actually do like him and are concerned about him. And thus Paul writes, let love be genuine. Paul is here saying it is not to be hypocritical love. That's simply an outward show, but it must come from the heart. So he says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. See, this love that he has is not merely an outward act towards the good of others, but it starts inwardly and then moves outwardly in the world. We often see an example of this in family relationships. One of the articles that I ran across in researching was something that happened that WGAL put up about something that was going on in Oklahoma. So there's this dad uh, in Oklahoma who decided to, to come up with a new way to entertain his children uh, during this time of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Heath Jones, who happens to be a music professor at Oklahoma Christian University, uh, built a fully functioning bowling alley in his backyard for his 15-year-old son, who happens to be an elite bowler. Uh, his son, Eric, uh, averages 12 games a day in order to stay sharp and, and on the edge of being able to perform. 
But since all the alleys had closed back in March, uh, as the official said, he was not able to practice regularly, and his father saw him and decided to do something about that. And so he took time, bought all the supplies, built the lane. It had a, a, a working pen setter, a automatic ball return, even LED lights so that his son could go outside and bowl at night. When he was interviewed about his motivation for why he would do such work for his son, this is what he said. He said, I love my son and I love helping him to continue to be such a, a, a good bowler. See, love started in this father's heart. Uh, it was compassion that he had upon his son when he saw his son in a place of need. And what he did is it moved him to act selflessly and to sacrifice his resources and his time for the benefit of his son. See, what the text says to us, at least what we see in the New Testament, is that this love that comes from God through us flows from a heart that has been transformed. See, this Christ-like love also extends beyond normal human limits, and that's how we know it is different. We, we, we see this in, in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 32, and then in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, when the scripture talks about human love. And there we find that there are these two pictures that we put together that, that tells us that, that human love, when it's loving, often is attracted to what it finds attractive, what it finds worthy, or those who will benefit it. So even sinners love those who love them. The reality is most of us, in choosing our mate, the reason why we chose them is because there was something in them either their physical appearance or some attribute that they had that we found attractive and that's why we were drawn to them. Or perhaps it was, as, as Paul, uh, uh, um, I can't think of his name right now, but he talks about this idea uh, of that when we're in marriage, often what happens is sometimes we have our own picture in mind of what we want our life to look like and when that person fits into that picture and helps us to accomplish what we want, then what we do is we feel attracted to them because they're helping us realize our dream. And, 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 and love, human love at its best, is often moving in that direction towards what we find beautiful or attractive. But what we find in the text when it comes to talking about God's love, we find that it moves beyond human's love at its best because when we look at God's love, God moves towards those who are unlovely and unattractive and unworthy. There's nothing to be desired in the ones to whom God loves, and yet he moves towards them in love. And this is why Jesus instructs and models for his disciples love of enemy, because God's love moves to the ones who are unworthy, unattractive, and unlovely, something that we as humans of our own accord will not do, but spirit-produced love will move in this direction. One other thing that we see from the text about love, we find it in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 17. You see it in Revelations, all of the letters to the churches, chapters 2 and 3, and especially there in verse 3, 19. And then throughout the, the swath of the, the, the letter to the Galatians and both the first letter to the Corinthians. And in these passages, we learn that love also has limits. As Paul indicated back in 1 Corinthians 13, that love does not rejoice in doing wrong. And because love does not rejoice in doing wrong, then love seeks for the good of the other to correct them when erroring happens. 
This is the reason why church discipline and church restoration is practiced. Because love refuses to allow one who is loved to continue down the road wrong path without seeking to restore them and bring them back to the right path. See, this kind of love is a correcting love. So we might ask in light of this, this love that acts for the benefit of others that's selfless, that comes from a heart that cares genuinely about other people, that moves beyond the limits of where I might want to draw the lines and is pure and holy so it seeks to, to steer people back in the right direction. How can I love people like this? We find the answer in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Paul says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. As Paul indicates by his fruit metaphor, this kind of love is the result of being in relationship with Jesus Christ for those who walk in the Spirit. By using the fruit metaphor, what Paul is implying is that this is not something that we generate by human effort. It is something that the Spirit produces in us. But in the text what Paul says, in order to see this fruit produced in us, we have to walk in the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit. And in doing that, then the result that shows up in our life are these list of things that we find here in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. See, the way that this comes out in your life and in my life is that the Spirit produces it as we follow Him. Now, the question you might be wondering in a practical way is, well, then how do I follow the lead of the Spirit? That sounds good. It sounds spiritual. But how do I actually do that in my life? And I think that's a very good question to ask. So one of the articles that I read this week was by Scott Swanson, who reflected on this very question. How do I practically follow the lead of the Spirit? How do I walk uh, in the Spirit? How do I do that in a real way that's practical? And in order to do that, he looks back and reflects on the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, particularly Psalm 143, Psalm 1, Psalm 19, Psalm 119, Proverbs, some passages in Isaiah. But he looks at some of this Old Testament literature, seeing that, that what the Old Testament saints looked for was fulfilled in Christ. And so we see back there the pattern by which the walking and the leading of the Spirit was referenced to. And what he sees in those Old Testament literature, uh, in light of what, what, what it meant to be led and walk in the Spirit, was that first that there was this commitment to follow the instruction of the Lord. And then we go to the Lord in prayer, acknowledging our weakness and our inadequacy, asking him to work in us, and we trust him to answer that prayer and do just that thing. In addition to that, what we see in the Psalms and in the Proverbs, and even that, that is laid out in some of the other texts, but specifically in the wisdom literature, is that there is a desire to store up and treasure God's word through study, memorization, and meditation. And there's this idea that in that process of studying God's word by treasuring it up and storing it up in our hearts, that the spirit works through the word to teach us what God's will is and guide us and lead us in the right direction. In light of that, Swanson said this, then as we are inwardly taught by the Spirit with that word, 
we will then think more consistently the things of the spirit and thus act from the heart from that heart orientation. What he's saying here ultimately is is that a, a heart that is to be led by the spirit or that is to walk by the spirit that was anticipated by the Old Testament saints was a heart that was saturated with the word of God. See, it's hard to follow the spirit if you don't know what the spirit has said. So the spirit, by saturating ourselves, by taking in the word and meditating on that word, the spirit then takes the word, teaches us, and then by us following it, produces love in our lives. So yesterday, after I finished writing the sermon and finished up the, the PowerPoint in my final manuscript, one of the ladies from our church sent us an invitation that I found on uh, my email as I was reviewing, and I decided, oh, they had this free showing just yesterday afternoon of a, of a film, a documentary, a documentary about uh, uh, some, some Christians who have been living a unique Christian life uh, in loving others. Uh, and it was called Free Burma Rangers. And it was about this uh, former armor ranger who had grown up on the mission field, but he decided that he felt like he wanted to, to serve his country, and he had gone and served and become an army ranger. Then some years after he had done that and served in the military, he felt the calling of the Lord on his life to go back and serve on the mission field. So he ended up getting married and going back to Burma and serving there, and he had prayed and asked the Lord, Lord, I don't know what to do and how you want me to be involved, but show me how to be involved. And ultimately, God led him through prayer uh, to be able to start this group called the Free Burma Rangers. Uh, and basically what it was was that in Burma, who's been in civil war, referred to also as Myanmar, uh, that there in the civil war, uh, he started a group and just started to rescue people who were civilians in the war zone and, and just went into war zones to pull people out to, to treat them medically and to save their lives. And, and that became, and so that group began to grow. And as others, he, he kept rescuing people over time because of his faith in Christ and, and teaching to them and ministering them, the group began to grow. And so as he had done that for some 20 years of being on the front lines, he and his family going into war zones, training others to go into war zones to, to rescue civilians and to, to do uh, medical, uh, medical missions and, and to save lives, uh, those in Iraq had heard about what he was doing. And so then uh, they had called and asked, and one agency called and asked him to come to Iraq and do the same work that he was doing uh, in Burma. And so he took some of his those, uh, those who had been trained in Burma, some of the soldiers that had been trained to be medical, medical field medics and, and to go in as an organization and went into Iraq and started serving there uh, doing they were the attack on Mosul. And while he was there, there was one specific instance of, of the number of stories, and I would encourage you, if you don't mind watching war films and seeing a real documentary and what's happening, uh, he was going there to serve. I'd encourage you to see it. But he was there, and he's showing this one particular instance. And when he was there on the field, and they were at this one particular place where the Iraqi army and uh, ISIS were in a heated battle. And they were there in the battle on the forefront, right where, where uh, mortars are being shot off, bullets are flying, and they're there to rescue those who are innocent and have been affected by the war. And so there was one particular instance where they're in the building, and, 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 and there's fire coming in, heavy fire. And then they see across from where they're standing, there's a, a wall, and, and on that wall, there's a, a number of dead bodies and a few children. And they've been sitting there, and one little girl is sitting there uh, laying next to her dead mother right there, and, and they realize she's alive, and they're trying to figure out how do, how do we go out there, because if we go out there, we're definitely going to be killed. How, how do I go out there? What, what do I do? And so as David, who was the guy, the main guy, was talking about, so he was standing there in that moment, and he was saying to himself, 
Lord, what do I do? If I go out here right now, if, if I go out here, I am going to get shot up and I'm going to die and, and we're not going to be able to, I, others have to continue to work, but I won't be able to continue, continue this work. And he said in that moment, he prayed, Lord, what do I do? What do I do when my life is on the line and there's just somebody over there in need, what do I do? And he said in that moment, scripture came to his mind and he could not get it out of his mind. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. And so he took the risk and he went out because of what, what God had pressed upon his mind and he went out and by God's grace he was able to go over and save the little girl and two others and bring them back and rescue them. But he did that in a moment because of what scripture had shown him that God the, God the Spirit brought to his mind the scripture he had studied and showed him the way to go and when he did that what it produced in his life was love so that he saved other people's lives at the risk of his own life. That's how it works. You saturate yourself with the scripture, and in moments of need when you're faced in life, the spirit will lead you in the direction that you're to go with the scripture, and if you follow the spirit's lead, then you'll ultimately live a life of love. What are some ways that we see the spirit manifest us during this time? Or might, how might we ask, as Paul summed up and others have summed up, what the law is, that is to love our neighbor as ourselves, it can look like a variety of things. Sometimes it looks like volunteering, whether that's in the church or through a community organization to help those who are in need during this period of time. Sometimes it looks like you get a stimulus check and you don't need all of that stimulus check because you're able to survive. And so you give part of what you've received to help others. Who are in need. Sometimes it looks like you're in public and you wear a mask, not so much for your protection, but for the good of others. Sometimes it looks like you sew masks, like some of the members of my community group have done for medical workers. They have given their days to sewing masks and sending them out to help others. Sometimes it looks like, as Pastor Mike said, it, it, it's giving up the pleasure of physical closeness for the benefit of others. Although we pray and we know that God will bring this to an end someday and we trust him to do that. And it also looks like sometimes you go to the grocery store and though the toilet paper has just been restocked, instead of you buying every single roll that's available, you leave some for others so that they can buy some. Sometimes it looks like you call people and you check on them to make sure that they're doing well and you pray for them and help to assuage their fears with scripture. See, there are many ways in which the spirit might lead you into loving others. So as you know, back in 1918, the influenza H1N1 virus spread, it was a pandemic. Back then, uh, it took the lives of some 675,000 Americans. Globally, it, it claimed the life of some 50 million people and it infected somewhere near around 500 million people. And as the flu spread across the U.S. in the late fall and early winter of 1918, theaters, schools, businesses, and churches had to do exactly what we're doing today. They closed. They did not open in the same way that we were open. But sometimes there were needs in certain communities like in Nashville where the hospitals were being overrun and they could not staff. And so in, in, and in order to do that because the hospitals were being overrun, they had to start turning people away. So this one particular church saw that need. The Russell Street Church of Christ in Nashville decided to approach the Red Cross 
And they said, we have a building that's not being used because we're not meeting right now because of what's going on, but we have space and we'd like to help. Why don't you come and transform our building into a makeshift hospital so they can be used to help our community? And that's what the Red Cross did, converted and used their space for the good of their community. And they then volunteered their time and two other churches pooled in their monetary resources to serve the poor and help those who had been affected by the influenza of that day that it claimed so many lives. See, these churches said, here's a need in our community. Here's a way that we can love our community because the way Christ has loved us. So when we come to thinking about love, we simply need to come to the cross. There, he shows us what love looks like, and that also becomes our motivation for loving others, the way that we have been loved through Christ giving his life for us. So I would simply say to, do, to you during this time, if you want to live by the Spirit, remember what Christ has done for you and allow that to motivate you to do likewise for others. And in that way, you will fulfill this scripture. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to also lay down our lives for the brothers. Brothers and sisters, Christ has loved you with an eternal love. Love others the same way. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks and praise. You are an awesome and a mighty God. You have loved us with a great love, an undeserved love. We were unworthy, unattractive, undesirable. And yet your love, because you are loving, has moved outward toward us. And you've made us attractive. You made us lovely. You made us desirable by transforming us to look just like your son. And for that, we give you thanks. May we be mindful of how we live. May we follow the Spirit. May we be led by the Spirit so that we might live a life of love. And Lord, may we, if necessary, put our lives at risk for the good of others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.